0: Welcome to We Belong Here, lessons from unconventional paths to tech. I'm your host, Lauren Lee. And who am I? I was your wacky 10th grade English teacher who would occasionally rap a Shakespearean soliloquy, would always encourage a live performance of a book report, and would occasionally dress up in costume as Professor Dumbledore to host an ethics debate, who then, after nearly a decade, decided to take the massive leap of faith To attend a coding boot camp, switch careers, and dive deep into the tech industry. I've been surprised by how many of the skills and lessons I learned as an educator have translated to my role in tech. So that got me thinking, have you taken a non-traditional route to tech? Or are you interested in transitioning yourself? This is a podcast that aims to interview career changers and folks who are diversifying tech. We'll hear stories from people who've taken unique paths and chat about the skills that they've transferred to their roles today. We're hoping to create a space for people to learn from one another, develop confidence, and debunk the antiquated notion that a computer science degree is required to succeed in tech. Come on, everyone. Let's dive in. is a software engineer at Mighty AI, which is a company that annotates your data using machine learning and crowdsourcing to facilitate model training. She's a classically trained ballet dancer, and before learning to code, she was a lawyer. With a JD from Harvard, she was a senior counsel for the U.S. Committee on Energy and Natural Resources, was an assistant parliamentarian in the House of Representatives, and taught both ethics and the American presidency at Harvard. She and I attended Ada Developers Academy, a tuition-free, year-long program for women and gender-diverse folk to learn to code in 2017. We also did our software development internship together at Amazon. Her name is Severin Wiggenhorn, and I'm so grateful to be speaking with her today. Thank you so much for being a guest, Severin.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Of course. Let's start at the beginning, shall we? Uh, Tell me more about what you were doing in the early days of your career before you entered the tech industry.
1: Yeah, so um, I fell in love with ballet as a kid. I loved the discipline. I loved the structure. I loved the pretty shapes. Um, you know, I mean, I love the makeup and all that kind of stuff too. Um, but looking back, what I think I really loved was the patterns. Like there's, you make very intricate patterns with your body and the teachers actually like teach you a sequence and then you have to reverse it on the spot. And it's very symmetrical. It goes like front, side, back, side. And like, there's like a real pattern to it. And I like loved that. I loved like they would teach it to you. And you had to like memorize it immediately. And then like Dude on the other side, left side, right side, forward side, backward side, like, and I love that, um, and so I studied dance pretty seriously, I dropped out of high school, got my GED, um, went to a dance conservatory, was like, 100% sure, like, this was the oh, thing for man. me, yeah, moved to London when I was 18, studied dance at a stage school, have a diploma in classical ballet, and then realized that it's a really hard way to make a living, mm-hmm. And there was a lot of things I wasn't using, you know, like I had done well in school, like, like to read. And dance was sort of like a very narrow part of the world. And it was really cool and provided a lot of experiences. So I was pretty lost. I moved home back to Alaska, um, started going to college, got a job as a Pilates instructor because that's kind of like dancing. and It was something I knew sure. was with girls I had danced with growing up um, and fell into being a philosophy major. Because it was the only place that you were encouraged to, like, ask the professors challenging questions. Uh,
0: to be, speak up. Yeah, to, be like,
1: what about this? Or, like, what about this hypothetical? Like, what happens to your, you know, hypothesis then? And it's like you were craving
0: that in ballet. You were, like, wanting to stretch your brain and, like, go beyond that one dimension. Yeah. So that you found that. And way. ballet was so structured and so, yeah. like, you know,
1: you do what the teacher says. You don't ask questions. Never challenge Yeah, people. yeah. Oh my um gosh that makes so much sense. <laughs> so yeah. it was a real like 180 and then I ended up walking onto the debate team um and mm-hmm. at University of Alaska it's treated like a sports team yeah. so we got um scholarships and I got to go compete in other countries in Thailand and Germany oh, good for the you. UK um and being a philosophy major and a debater all anyone will ever tell you to do is like go to law school.
0: Uh, And so that was
1: like just like the logical thing you do unless you're going to get a PhD in philosophy. But the thing is what that, what you do to get into law school is you take the LSAT and it's a bunch of like logic games and reading comprehension. Mm -hmm. And I loved the logical piece of it. And I loved the debate, like advocacy piece of it, but I hated law school. Um, you know, Harvard was great. I was like thrilled to be there, but like you spend your time like italicizing commas and like blue booking and doing citations in this, like insane wow. way. Huh. And so I sort of knew like that wasn't what I was going to do forever. Um, and I had had an internship in college and like law school really affirmed for me the importance of internships, hmm. which, um, is a big part of why I ended up at Ada later on because of the internship. So like, I think internships are like a major theme for like anybody in any career. Yeah. Um, so I'd done an internship for Congress and it was super fun. You were like, in the eye of the hurricane, whatever was, like, the issue of the day, you were there. Um, Thriving in the chaos. Yeah. I remember (laughs) watching my boss at the time, who was chief of staff at the appropriations committee, sitting behind the member of Congress he worked for, who was, like, a crotchety old white guy, and he, like, swivels around in his chair away from, like, the big fancy table he's at, and he, like, reaches out his finger, you know, like, he's about to make a point to the chief of staff, and the chief of staff, like, leans forward and hands him a piece of paper, like, knows what he's going to ask, like, before, and, like, gives him the thing, and he's like, oh, yes, okay, and, like, goes back and, like, asks his question or whatever. I was like, that's what I want to do. So when I graduated from law school, um, I went to work for Congress, which was super cool and super interesting. Um, You know, I worked, I was there during the 2013 government shutdown. Um, I worked in two and a half years in a nonpartisan role and two and a half years working for my home state senator oh. um, from Alaska in her capacity as chair of a committee oh, um, got to go visit my home state and see you know remote parts of it and go to a gold mine and Such all kinds a of stuff yeah. About you. Um, and learned a ton of soft skills, um, how to manage and mentor people, how to interview people, how to lead negotiations, Mm -hmm. how to, um, project manage and set a deadline and work back from when you have to have a deliverable and how to write and how to edit and all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, but there was still, like, felt like something was missing. I was pretty burnt out on politics. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess we're, like, sort of segwaying past the, like, what I used to do. Should I no, stop no, here? No.
0: Oh, my gosh. Okay. No. Abs- I, I, my next question <laughs> is going to be, of course, like, okay, well, then how did you decide yeah. to code, code? Like, you're in, you're like, <laughs> incredible time. And then what? I think I'll go learn Ruby. <laughs> yeah.
1: How did that come about? So I think I came to code in, like, a very different way than many people I feel like I have some coworkers now as a software engineer that loved computers, loved video games, and came to code through that, mm-hmm. and that's not at all um, the path I took, and I think it's important for people to know that's not the only path. Me mm-hmm. too. So I loved the pure logic. I loved mm-hmm. the, like, translating it. You know, I philosophy, the first class we took was symbolic logic. LSAT games were logic. I loved the, there's like... A there. Yeah, yeah, the patterns and the logic and the... It's language. Like, the same... All the writing stuff that was mm-hmm. good for being a lawyer is good for being a coder, mm-hmm. right? Detail-oriented. Um, I wish I was a little better at catching my own coding typos. I'm better at catching sure. other people's, of course. Sure, at um. least for a good coder, yeah. <laughs> but, like, it's there's so much similarity. So I, I was burnt out on politics. I knew I wanted to do something else. The only thing people working for Congress typically go do is go be lobbyists, mm-hmm. which is... Um. Some people have ethical qualms about that, and and there's, you know, some things, but there's lobbyists for all kinds of things. Yeah. You know, nonprofit groups, the beverage association, like, whatever, soda, anything you can imagine there's lobbyists for. But you're kind of just, like, a glorified babysitter. You mm-hmm. take a CEO in to, like, walk around Congress and make sure they don't put their foot in their mouth and, like, <laughs> you know, shake the center's hands. It's just not that interesting.
0: It doesn't sound like it would be... For you. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't just the right path for you.
1: Yeah. And so I like was talking to all these people and I did what you do in Congress, which is you go to coffee and every time you go to coffee with someone, you ask that person, Hey, is there anyone else I should meet? Mm -hmm. And that's how you find a job in Congress, which was great training for networking. Um, You can talk to anyone for like 15 minutes. It's like speed dating for business. Um, And so I was just talking and I ended up talking to a friend of a friend who was at a tech incubator in New York and... He said... I was like, hey, I work for a senator. It's like 20 people in the office. To me, it sounds kind of like a startup. Could I go work for a startup? Like, what could I... Is there something I could do? Yeah. And he was like, can you sell stuff or can you build stuff? And I was like, I don't want to sell stuff. And like, I didn't even know what it meant to build stuff.
0: Right. Or like what your terminal was and your computer. God, no. That no. I, was,
1: yeah. I was like way far away from that. Sure. So I like started going Codecademy, you know, which is in the browser and feels very mm. accessible and is very structured. I started watching... Um, the EdX like CS50 from Harvard, yeah. just the lectures. Oh yeah. Even the le- even the exercises were too intimidating for me. Like I I couldn't figure those out. Um, and I did a bunch of googling, and I I stumbled on Ada. Um, mm-hmm. and the two things that for me that were really huge was that it was free, mm-hmm. and that it was guaranteed an internship because that's how I had gotten all my jobs as a lawyer was like through internships. That
0: pattern worked, and I knew
1: that was like a, that made it feel much less scary to like quit my job. I was newly married. I had been married, like, six months, um, and I ended up quitting my job, moving across the country away from my husband for, like, the first half of Ada um, while he, you know, finished out our lease and kept his job. And I told him it was the patriarchy tax that he had to pay my student loans. Um, (laughs) But, like, it's just so crazy to me. Looking back, I loved logic, and no one ever suggested computer science. Like, I don't think I knew what computer science meant as a major. I definitely thought it involved math. I Definitely would have thought I would have been bad at it. Yeah, I, mean, I wouldn't have thought that like writing and logic was like part of it. It was, def-
0: yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the questions we, I, we like to talk about in this podcast is like, why didn't you get into the tech industry earlier? And I think that that is like a super for that's for me as well, yeah. right? Like, I just didn't even know it was a possible career track.
1: No one ever mentioned it, no yeah. career advisor. I didn't see anyone that like looked like me doing it, I wouldn't have known how to get started. My interest kind of didn't, you know, I wasn't into ga- computer games or any of the things that might have led me there.
0: Yeah. And, and you no, weren't like taking apart your computer the yeah as a kid. No, yeah, yeah, I'm
1: yeah. you know, I'm risk adverse. I was like worried about breaking my computer, oh, sure. you know, that kind of stuff. Um and no one looked what I think people should do is like look at philosophy, look at writers, look at English majors, look at that detail orientedness, good with language, um, love of logic. And be like, hey, you could do computer science, you know, you could do tech. Um, but, yeah, so I certainly hope that that becomes more of a thing. But it was not at all on my radar from anywhere from, you know, I read a lot of biographies as a kid. I loved to, like, mm-hmm. you know, hear people's life stories and how they, you know, got to where they were. And it's just not a thing that I ever would have thought of Um
0: Wow. So bringing us to today, uh, what do you do at MyDAI? What do you, can you tell me about yeah. that role? Yeah. So I'm a
1: software engineer on our platform team, which is our sort of relatively back-end team. Um, I do mostly Ruby, Ruby on Rails, um, and increasingly uh, more Python as well. Um, we also have, like, a front-end team, a data science team, mm-hmm. and, like, an internal tooling team. So in a lot of ways what I do is not too dissimilar from what I did at Ada. We do, um, you know, web dev, web um, dev. I'm definitely on the back end side of it but we use Ruby which we learned at ADA but you know having a real software engineering job is is definitely different in a lot of ways mm-hmm. that the side of the co- size of the code base um, you know dealing with scale oh and things gosh, we just sure. didn't have to worry about problems, yeah. um, you know how to parallelize this or like how responsive this is or mm-hmm. you know we have a lot of our crowdsourcers out in third world countries in Venezuela and other places so we have to you know web team the front- end thinks about how to make the experience good on mm-hmm. the browser side mm-hmm. um, but we also have to think about it on the the server side as well yeah um, but I also use all of my other skills, you know, I have to clarify requirements, I have to write documentation, write JIRA tickets, you know, do a little bit of project management here and there, um, talk to people, mentor people, you know, clarify things. Um, Would
0: you say that those skills are things that, like, you learned in your other roles in your life? Absolutely. That you, they're helping you in this role?
1: I think that you come in as a much more, compared to someone right out of college with a computer science degree, you come yeah. in... Even if you don't have the technical experience, you come in in a more senior way than you would. What's hard about someone coming out of a boot camp is that you have this big mismatch. So you have however many years of soft skill experience while your technical skills are lower. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of things that means. That means you have to have a lot of conversations with your manager yeah. and very explicitly like explain to them, like my soft skills are, are here, but like my technical skills are here. And you have to be thoughtful because it's very easy to get pushed into other paths. You know, some people want to be project project managers or product managers, but it's easy for them to see your soft skills and push you that way if you don't and if that's not what you want, you really have to communicate about. I did a project early on where I ended up leaning on a lot of my soft skills mm-hmm. and I was helping implement something that someone else had architected, but I really the project was a little bit of disarray and I leaned on a lot of soft skills. And my manager and I had a very explicit conversation, and I got some good mentoring from other folks, I'm a former Ada instructor who's also a manager here. And I was like, yes, this happened, and I did it because I thought I helped the team. But this is not what I want to be the norm. Forward. Right now, my goal is to be an individual contributor, to bring up my technical skills, to match my soft skills. Like, I want to I want to code all day. I want my job to be coding. Um, that's what I want right now. And so you just have to be a little bit more explicit about that because what people are going to notice – you know, like, everyone has that one thing they notice. Oh, you're so tall. Oh, your hair is so blonde. Oh, your eyes are so blue. They'll, the, in the workplace, you be like, "Oh, you have such good soft skills," and you're like, "Well, yes, because I spent however many years using those." Right. But okay. right now, I want I want to have good technical muscle. skills too. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, it's like you broke your arm, and now I have to do like a bunch of rehab on one arm, and like I don't need to work on the other arm so much because it's fine. Sure, I need sure. to focus. Like for me right now, the right thing is to focus on my technical skills um, because I want to be the kind of engineer where someone comes and they have a business problem, and you say, "Yes, we can do that." It's it's you know there's a there's a oh we have a ticket oh we have a technical problem oh we have a business problem like a completely undefined ambiguous how do you yes. how do you fix this person's real world problem with code that's I want to be that kind of engineer that's power.
0: That's incredible. Well, I I really, I want to echo how important it was. Like I heard you saying that you were advocating for yourself a lot. And I think that that is something that like we have to feel brave to do. We have to have the right team that is supportive for us to do that. And like a safe space uh, to have those conversations with our mentors and our our managers and to say like, I need help right now. Or like, this is what I want to be working on. I want to set my goals around this. Um, Help me do that. And if you're not at a place that's like supporting that, then, you know, like, find it because they exist out there and I think that we can't, we, we have to work hard to find them.
1: You also have to lean into things that you're a little bit afraid of. (sighs) The, I've done a project that's like a prototype that's now in a beta and about to roll out to sort of like general lease. And it's like got some crazy matrix multiplication stuff that like really, when I first described the project, I was like, oh, I'm never going to work on that. (laughs) And somehow I'm like the tech lead for my team representing my team in this, you know, like multi-team project. And, like, there's people that can help you, right? Like, it's not even really my job as a software engineer to, like, figure out the matrix multiplication. We have yeah. a computer vision PhD that helps with that. It's my job to implement it in code. Yeah. But it took me, you know, several weeks to, like, work up the guts to tell the PhD, like, I don't actually understand. Like, you're going to have to walk it, me through it again. Mm-hmm. Like, Or send them code and be like, this is what I'm doing. Show me what's wrong. Like... There are things that are your job and things that are not your job. And, like, it's okay to not know things. But, like, there's barriers there. Like, one time I went to him and I was, like, I tried to, like, make a joke. And I was, like, you know, they didn't they didn't teach me matrix multiplication in law school. And he kind of just, like, looked at me and was, like, huh. Like, I don't know if you really believe me or not. So, like, it's, it's hard to, like, admit that, like, everyone's talking about that time they took linear algebra. And you're, like, I didn't do that. It's hard to admit that and even if people like might know that it's hard to like say like hey like
0: it's something you have to actively remind them yeah to. this
1: isn't a thing I did but like I, I know a lot more words than you do. you know like I have other skills um but like I want to be an enge- it's, it's just it's hard to not lean on the soft skills yeah. and to lean into the discomfort and to lean into the being a junior engineer but there's so many things that you coming out of other work experience are so good at already mm-hmm. you know taking ambiguous requirements and clarifying that you know, I'm really good about, I, I, um, never want a bad surprise for my manager. So if a project's off track, if I'm worried something's going to slip, I always let him know ahead of time because like, that's what you learn working for a Senator, right? You don't ever have a bad surprise. Like if, if some, if the bad news coming, you want them to like be told in advance. Sure. Um, my gosh, I like the language about
0: that. That's interesting. And so just, like, giving your, your manager the heads up. Yeah, you're like, supposed to like, hiding yes. under the blanket. Yeah, like, you, you can't,
1: you know, in an di- <laughs> ideal world, you're an engineer, you want to fix everything, I want to fix it by myself. I, I definitely have that toddler mentality of, like, fix it by myself, don't need help, like, me, me, me. And, like, that's not mm-hmm. how the world works, no. and you have to ask for help. And, like, you can't fix everything, but, like... If something's slipping, if something's going to take you longer, I think you owe your manager that information and that's sort of like a maturity and like workplace experience thing that I oh, think is absolutely. really useful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's huge. And your manager probably really <laughs> <Yeah>. appreciates <laughs> that. Because they don't want too. that
1: surprise question from their boss where they're like, yes, everything's fine and then they have to walk it back an hour later. Oh my gosh,
0: that's mortifying. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so can you talk to me, Severin, um, about any life lessons that you've learned since your transition to tech?
1: I think being patient with myself, um, I think doing something scary, I think I cry more in my one-on-ones with my manager here than I ever <laughs> did in my job for the Senate, but, like, oh which is, like, hard, and it's, like, the, like, <laughs> I just get, like, emotional when I'm talking about the thing that, like, really frustrated me, yeah. and, like, coding is deep and personal. You are in a battle to, like, communicate with the computer, and it's, like, in a battle to get your spouse to understand, but, like, the computer doesn't, like, try. Like, it it only knows what it knows. And, like, when you can't solve it, it feels, you know, it feels totally irrationally personal when that test fails for, like, the 50th time. People, like, cross their fingers and, like, pray and wish and, like, they're like, the computer hates me. And it's just such a, like, personal, emotional endeavor. And it really has made me feel better to realize even senior engineers, like, get frustrated Yeah, to see them at that place too and i think it's a more raw experience for us like i i talked to my amazon mentor about this one time and i was like it's like a roller coaster of emotion when the test pass or when like the box shows up on the screen oh it's my gosh, like it's incredible a euphoria and when it doesn't you're like desolate you feel like the dumbest person yeah. in the world and she's like it does like even out a little bit over time mm-hmm. which is like good and bad right this is a slightly unhealthy coding is the most addictive thing i've ever done that's what I love about it. There's one problem after another. And then like, it's been eight hours and you haven't moved. And and like, shit, I haven't eaten anything. It's addictive. (laughs) Um, which is so amazing because there's feedback. That's what there wasn't in law. Mm. Like you wrote a memo and maybe somebody read it. And maybe the senator wrote back two months later, and you're like, Senator, it's out of date now. Like,
0: why are you reading this now? But you get that immediate gratification of something. Yep. You see it happen immediately. You see a test. You see
1: something print out in the console. You see something in the screen. You set a break point. Like, there's so much feedback. And that's... And, like, you build something tangible. Maybe people who are good with their hands, like, realize this earlier in life. that, a carpenter. Making a... Knitting or making a table is, like, really cool. But, like, I had never really done that, yeah. and, like, the fact that I make a real thing and have, like, something to show for it... Mm-hmm. And backend is obviously, like, a little harder to, like, see your real thing, but you're like, oh, I added all those rows to the da- database, or, yeah, like, your, I made a new table, your or, your like... performance is faster. Or yeah, like it's, yeah, it like, really cool. there's metrics that are important in software engineering, mm-hmm. and they know that they're important, yeah. and I think other jobs just, like, don't have that. Yeah. Like, no one... No one really cares about the job satisfaction of lawyers, and no one thinks you need Um, feedback on it. They're just like, oh, well, we pay you a lot of money, and you're going to go do your job. Also, engineering managers actually get more training and spend more time thinking about how to manage and agile and retro everything. Mm. Law? like, no, I think because they think engineering managers are going to be bad with people, Mm, there's a whole industry about it. uh, But lawyer managers are terrible, and there's no industry around it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's awesome that you have found a space where you, like, I don't know, it seems like here at Mighty AI, you have a really good relationship with your manager. Like, that's a really candid thing where you can, uh, I mean in front of them. Yeah. That's still a safe space. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's really, really
1: cool. I remember like, I, I don't know. I just think the emotions are really raw when you're first learning to code sure. during my internship. And there's like a lot of time pressure on internship. Like I have to finish my project to get an offer and all yeah, that. It's time boxed. A test just like spent all day trying to write a test. And I was like trying to talk to my mentor about it. And I kind of like started, my eyes started welling up and she's like, do you want to take a walk? Do you want a minute? And I was like, no, I'm just angry crying because my code, like, the test won't pass. Like, just help me fix the test, and then I'll stop crying. (laughs) And, you know, it was nice. I had a female mentor, and she was like, okay, and we just fixed the test, and I stopped crying. And, like, I don't know, for me, the, like, feelings, I care really deeply, deeply and I'm invested in the code, and I want it to work, and I want it to help my team, and I want to help the end user I'm making it for. And it's just frustrating as heck when it doesn't work, and it's so exciting when it does, and emotions for me come with that, and, like, I think that's okay. You're a
0: human. Yeah. You're not a robot. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, that, of course, I, I relate to that so much. I remember crying in my internship to my mentor and then being like, I don't know what to do with this right now. But I was like, well, come on, I'm a person yeah. and this is like really intense. And yeah. so I think, yeah, eventually he understood it. And
1: if, that, if, 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 you know, I want everyone to find mentors and managers that it's okay to cry. And when they're mentors and managers, I don't, yeah. I don't want crying to be weakness. I don't want crying to be perceived as you're not technical I don't want crying to be perceived as you can't do it. It's like letting off steam so that I can like Move refocus past. Yeah. and like have a fresher perspective and like get back to coding. Retake right. It. I love it.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Um, okay. So we've kind of touched on this a bit, but can you talk to me about in this industry, do you ever feel like an outsider? Do you, How do you handle that feeling? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so we recently started, we have something called technical account managers or solution architects that are tend to be youngish folks shortly out of college. And they're the interface between like sales and engineering. Mm. And I um, have a pretty close relationship with the manager of that team. And we were talking about things like one of the female architects was like perceived as less technical. Mm. And I had this whole conversation with the manager about they were less technical because like they were like. Hadn't set up some permissions SSH thing on the command line. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, take your average male architect. What does he feel about the command line? He's probably like, okay, like, maybe I'm familiar with this. Maybe I'm not. But, like, let me just type some stuff in the internet. If I break my computer, that probably feels safe. He probably doesn't think he's going to get fired. He's probably not too worried about it. You take a female socialized, like, person who's like, shoot, if I break my computer, I might get fired for this. Like, I'm just pasting random code. Right. The emotional, like, how safe pasting random, you know, prompts they found on Stack Overflow into the command line Uh feels is very different, and I don't want someone to be perceived as less technical because they're more cautious, because I was definitely more cautious. And that's not anything to do with technical aptitude or technical ability. Mm -hmm. That's something that you can absolutely, like, mentor someone through. And my manager's really good about – he taught me to do risk assessments. So what am I running? How could it potentially break? and there are other ways I could mitigate this. Mm-hmm. Could I run this script with the save commented out so I'm not actually changing thing, anything in the database and check the output? Could I, you know, like, do I do this on a read-only database? Do I? How do I evaluate this? And instead of being like, oh, you're scared, you can't do it, he taught me to, like, think for myself and evaluate for myself what the risks were. Was this in the production database? Was I changing things in, like, a potentially irreversible way? Like, mm-hmm. how would I undo it? And then I, like, became less scared because I knew it wasn't as dangerous. It didn't feel as emotionally risky. So one of the th- ways I've coped with being an outsider is I'm an engineering buddy mm. to some of the TAMs. And so I'm their engineering point of contact to ask the questions that they feel are dumb or they feel like they can't ask or they feel like they should know already. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be like a technical resource who looks like them and maybe talks and explains things in a way that they understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's helping other people like actually reminds me that I'm good at my job. Um, and so it helps with some of that outsider stuff, but like, I actually think there's a funny, a funny point where the beginning of, of being a real software engineer, like the first couple months was easier. This like six month mark is like a weird tween stage (laughs) where like I'm not new and I do know a bunch of stuff, but like sometimes I run into problems that I like really don't know the answer to or like a part of the code base I really haven't explored before. And it kind of like catches you aback because you got sort of like. It's like skiing or something, like you're going down the mountain, you're doing, you're like, oh, oh I yeah. finally got this, and just like fall over and face Um And I've heard other folks say at like 18 months, there's also this like turning point. So I think it's just realizing that like there's highs and lows, and mm-hmm. like um, I organize a monthly lunch with some of the Ada folks who work downtown. We try to get together and like all talk about, commiserate about the same yeah. things. and knowing Support networks. Yeah, support knowing your experience those, is yeah. valid, knowing other people are having it um, is super helpful. Mm. Um, bringing up things with my manager and saying, Hey, like this is a thing you should be aware of. Um, we have a monthly, um, like DNI diversity inclusion meeting. Um, so I do, you know, I intentionally picked a startup because I wanted to be someplace that felt small enough that felt like, you know, if I rowed really hard, I could help change the direction. Mm. When we entered at Amazon, I felt like, you know, I could kill myself rowing and it, it wasn't going to change the direction of the boat. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things you can do and, and also sometimes you just need to step back and just put your head down and just be a software engineer and just do your job. Um, and both of those strategies help outside hobbies help, Mm -hmm. um, you know, having something else in your life that you've been good at for a long time, you know, yoga. I've done yoga for like many years and going someplace where you're like, ah, I'm take a deep breath. I know how to expert. Yeah. I'm good at this. (laughs) Like sometimes that helps. Um, and also, you know, like there's. It's, it's tough. Like sometimes it will just be tough. Like yeah. in the Senate, I loved mentoring young women. There's a lot less women in the workplace here. Sometimes you just like miss those kinds of conversations. Sometimes conversation with folks who have a different background are just like a little bit harder and they take a little bit more emotional energy and you miss that like easy commonality. And that's, that's all candor, yeah. yeah, that's hard. Um, it's definitely hard. Sometimes you look around and there's like a lot of white dudes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. And then when you find that you're not, like, when you find the people that you, yeah, the, like, comment, you can have that nice conversation with
1: if it, it's yeah. really good. It really, it, you know, really helps to have, and one of the things we struggle with even is is female technical leadership,
0: right? Oh, it might be. Yeah, like,
1: there's there's a number of female engineers. There's, right now, one female engineering manager. We've had two in the past. Mm. But, like, you know, once you get to, like, the leadership at the technical levels, um, that gets harder too. And so yeah. like, that's definitely something we constantly sort of push for and advocate for. It's important. Yeah. It'll be you soon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've got a ways to go on the technical skills, but, but hopefully someday. Sounds like you're hustling. towards it. So, uh,
0: okay. So do you have any advice for those who are listening to this podcast and are wanting to transition themselves into tech?
1: be patient, you know, try to spend a little bit of time on it every day or every week. It's really hard. When I applied to ADA, you know, I hate the like hustle harder mentality, but like sometimes you get yourself out of a bad situation. You know, I wrote my ADA application from like 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. Mm. because like I had a really demanding day job and like I knew I wanted out and I knew it was a short term, you know, like <laughs> I'll get to sleep in like a week. Like I just have to get this done. Mm. Um, There are a lot of resources out there on the internet of other people talking about their journeys that are really helpful. There are some amazing podcasts and blogs. um, And just rejoice in the small milestones. I really remember Mm, the first time (laughs) documentation made sense to me. Like, I would, they'd be like, read the Ruby documentation. I'd be like, it's gibberish. Like, this doesn't help me.
0: Yeah.
1: And then it just clicked, and I was like, oh, this method returns this, and that's exactly what I needed to know. And that's the documentation tells me this. Ah, yeah, yeah. Sure. And, like... I probably felt, yeah. And that's a big moment, but it's easy to, like, move on and overlook it. That's and fantastic. Yeah. And so, like, you have to give yourself credit. You know, I think we did that a lot as we were coming out, like... Oh my gosh! A year ago, I didn't know how to code at all, and now I'm like just starting a full-time software engineering yeah, job. Yeah. Or you know, try to recognize those milestones because there's a, there's an overwhelming amount of resources. Don't don't do what I do and open every you know don't open a hundred tabs on like binary trees and be like have to read them all tonight. Like you know, having a little bit of structure, having a little bit of discipline. You know, doing doing one um exorcism exercise or hacker rank exercise tonight. Yeah. Um, coding also makes me kind of manic and it's hard for me to sleep after it. And so one of my coworkers, senior engineers, the thing they have that we don't have is they have the work-life balance for coding figured mm-hmm. out more. And he's like, I don't code after 930 or I can't sleep. And I was like, oh uh. <laughs> Like, it made me feel like, oh, I'm not the only one that, like, gets really, like, hyped up when they're, right. like, coding, but, like, maybe I should stop coding till midnight, and then they're thinking I can immediately fall asleep, like, oh, I need to, like, yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah. It. so it's just, like, you're sort of, like, a baby or an adolescent in this, like, totally. figuring this out, and these other people have been no, doing absolutely. this for eight years, yeah. and, like, have learned a few, like, how to be a software engineer for the long run, and
0: not burnout,
1: yeah, because boot camps teach you how to be a software engineer, like, 100%, max, nights and weekends, Yep. But then once you actually get a job, we have to figure out how to be software engineers in, Until like, a sustainable time. way. Yeah. 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 And I'm definitely still figuring that one out.
0: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Me, too. And I, I, I do, like, the logging. At, every, at the end of every week, I try to document, like, what did I learn this week? And so then good. looking back even a month ago, I'm shocked by how frustrated I was with the problem and now how I feel better with it. And it, it's a nice way for me to revisit things and the small successes and to recognize, even though it's very incremental and very small.
1: Unless and let you so advocate things. for yourself, too. Tell oh, your manager... Yeah. Tell your performance yeah. reviews. Yeah. Yeah. Resumes. Yeah, yeah. That kind of stuff is super absolutely. important.
0: Keep your resume up to date. Too. Yeah. I think that's amazing.
1: Yeah. Sometimes yeah. I think about, like, what would I put on my resume right now? And, like, yeah. write down those bullets and just, like, save them in case, like... Sure. Put it in a little yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Right? Like on I on like love phone. Gmail drafts. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Uh,
0: okay. Uh, last, last question for you, Severin, is to make your shout-out, or what would you like the listeners to go check out?
1: So one of my favorite... Um, blogs and it's now a podcast for learning, especially the core computer science like fundamentals. Was Base CS yeah. or Basics B A S E C S? Yeah, Base CS, Code newbie stuff. Yep. yep. Yeah, she started out with a blog that has like Drawn pictures to like explain a bunch of stuff. And I actually read that while we were at Ada and I would try to like read that before we had a lecture on it. And it gave me like a visual when we were talking about different algorithms and data structures. Um, And then she's got the Code Newbie podcast. And I think that is like my number one recommendation for the, you know, less the like syntax of code, but the kind of interview prep stuff of like computer science fundamentals. I really think she does a truly phenomenal job at it.
0: I really like it too. She's incredible. And I think even just thinking about those computer science fundamentals in different ways than you're learning it. say if it's in a code boot camp, like in a, we were learning and really like flash moments of lectures, it was always nice for me to like hear someone else explain it in a different language. I thought that, or just like a new perspective or a new example. And it just is really, really awful.
1: I think the other thing I really like is exorcism. Yeah. Um, you referenced that. Yeah. Um, she actually wrote a book, um, uh, 99 Bottles which is an object oriented programming book that's also really great with my girl Sandy Max. Yes. Um and it's a, it's once you know a little bit of code it's a really great way to pick up a new language yeah. um, they have you know it's, it's very similar to Hacker Rank or um, LeetCode or those kind of things but they have sort of like a track where you can go down and you can get feedback from a tutor or you can do it on your own and it's free and you it's designed to take you incrementally through the things you need to learn like oh you need to learn how to like read in arguments from the command line. Oh, you need to learn how to, like, iterate over a hash or a dict. Like, it it incrementally teaches you the things you need to know in a new language. And for me, it's a really fun, structured way to learn it. And I realize there's a lot of senior, senior engineers that don't know about some of these new sort of Gamifications of how to learn to code because yeah. they learned to code, you know, 10 years ago. And so my manager, when he wanted to learn Python, he like sat down and read the Python documentation, which is like not an accessible way for me. And he was like, what is exorcism? And I was like, oh, I know something you don't know. Oh gosh, don't and know. it's like so much better, like such a better way to learn, right? There's, we're applying technology to pedagogy and how you learn yep. too. And I actually think it's like probably a great time to learn to code compared to 10 years ago because there's resources out there.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. It's a fun time to be in, <laughs> in this industry. Uh, Severin, thank you so much for being on this podcast today and chatting with me. Where can listeners find you?
1: Um, probably LinkedIn is the best place. Severin Wiggenhorn. Severin, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Thank you so much. This is really fun, and I hope uh, more people follow both of our paths and get into tech. Heck yeah.
0: And that's a wrap on another episode of We Belong Here, lessons from unconventional paths to tech. Be sure to rate and subscribe anywhere you can find podcasts and check us out next week for another story and lessons learned from an unconventional path to tech.